if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, you'll be in the right spot and you'll be prepared for what we're going to cover. Before we get in there, uh, we're actually going to cover a couple verses for before, but again, chapter 3 will be an appropriate spot. What we're going to do is we're going to look into an intimate conversation between two people. And before you jump into somebody else's business, I always like to have some context. Okay, so God and Moses are talking intimately. We're going to join them in that conversation, but again, let's not butt in. Let's not open the door when we're not allowed in on this conversation. Let's, let's cover what has happened previously. So, previous of Exodus chapter 3, I hope everyone can do this, it's Exodus 2 and Exodus 1. So in Exodus 1, it covers a 400-year gap between Genesis and Exodus. It's how we know that Exodus is before Genesis. If you study, you know, older times before books and, and Bibles were made, they were scrolls. So they had a bunch of scrolls. Who knows where it's sitting if it doesn't connect to the story. Uh, together. So this is how they put it together. So in Genesis, we have the end, we have Joseph, and then lead straight in to Exodus, and that's where we're going to cover. So they have a 400-year history, and it talks about that. Uh, and what we want to dive into is Moses. So Moses is this legendary figure, this guy who comes on the scene, and he's not just some guy. He's going to cover the next four chapters, or four books of the Bible. These next, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all Moses in Moses' presence and him as a mediator between God and the people. So this is really important and I want to really stress this, that Moses is a big guy. We've seen other guys in the Bible who are faithful to God's word and who God even makes covenants and promises with. We saw Adam and Eve. We saw Abraham. We saw Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, all of these amazing men, but they have chapters in the Bible and Moses has books. So I want to set him up in his proper place um, because Moses does cover a lot of area. So chapter two, we get into his birth and the miraculous birth that it was and God's provision that he gives to Moses. Not only is he just this legendary figure throughout the rest of the Pentateuch and the Old Testament and the New Testament, but next in this chapter two, it, it describes what's going on. Pharaoh sees that the Hebrews are plentiful and there are many of them. These are his slaves. These are the people under him. He is using them to build the greatest empire that anyone has known. The pyramids are still here today. The effects from the Egyptian culture are still around today. And so he is using it on the backs of these slaves because they were so numerous. He decided he was going to do a terrible thing and he was going to murder the boy, if they had a boy, of any woman, any Hebrew who had a boy in a certain time frame, he was going to kill them. But if it was a girl, he'd allow them to live. He's still got to have labor, but he wanted to get rid of the boys. So what we see is Moses is born during this period, this time, and God delivers him in a miraculous way. If you've seen the Prince of Egypt, it does a pretty good job of the picture. Instead of him floating by alligators and boats and tossing through the waves, uh, his mom and his sister take him and they put him in the river and God delivers him. Pharaoh's daughter comes down, and she takes the child. She says, I'm going to raise this. Now, get this picture. Pharaoh was trying to kill these babies. Moses, he was trying to kill Moses. And where does he end up? In Pharaoh's house. He is under Pharaoh's daughter's provision. She's going to take care of him. Not only that, but when she leaves, she sees Moses' sister and says, hey, 
They're, like we're, we have a lot of people who are having babies and they're not gonna take care of them uh, because we're killing them. Can you go find somebody who we can get to nurse this baby? She says, absolutely, I'd love to. Let me go get my mom. So not only is Moses protected, but his mother is protected and she's paid. I don't know if anybody, you know, you know, had a difficult time with babies. I know they are super hard and they, they, they just can't do anything on their own. But not only was she able to take care of her son who should have been killed, she was paid for it, which is absolutely absurd. So we're setting up this character. And next, we don't see anything else about his mom. We don't see uh, a whole lot. But what we do see is Moses grown up. And what does he do? He is under Pharaoh's court. And so he's out walking and he sees an Egyptian and he sees him beating a Hebrew. He said, the Bible describes that he looks left, he looks right, he makes sure nobody's around, and he strikes him down. He kills him, and he buries him in the sand. This guy, this legendary guy, just commits murder. And he goes about his day. He comes back the next day. He's like, man, I'm protecting my people. You know, I'm trying to fit in in two crazy worlds. Like, what's going on? And then he sees two Hebrews fighting and beating each other. He says, what's going on? You're both in the same lot you're both Hebrews. What, why are you fighting? And they turn to him. One of them says, are you going to kill me like that Egyptian yesterday? And he's, he's shocked. It's out. The Hebrews know, and they don't accept him. They're rejecting him in this moment. He doesn't fit in with them because he's with Pharaoh. He's, he's with the slave master. He's with that guy. And what we see is that Pharaoh also rejects him. He wants him because he has now committed murder. Not just murder, but he murdered an Egyptian in defense of a Hebrew. That's exactly what he's trying to put down. He's trying to put down the Hebrew people. So now we have a fugitive and someone who's been rejected by their own people. So with that being said, if you'll read with me and follow along in Exodus chapter 2, starting 23 to 314, God's word says, during, these days, many, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and he saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning. Yet it was, it, it was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, or the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up to a land, a good land, a land, or a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So we begin in Exodus 3 with Moses. Again, he fled from Egypt and he went to Midian. And in Midian, he saved the, the high priest of Midian. He saved his daughters and he married one of them and had kids. I think most of the time uh, we base our Exodus you know, understanding on the prince of Egypt where it looks like he has about enough time to grow a beard. And that's it. That's all he does. He, he sits there for a couple months. He gets to know this girl. They date. They get married. Uh, he, he does save them. He, he cares for some sheep for, for a while. And then he just moves, he goes back to Egypt, you know. It just so happened that the Pharaoh was unwell, and I guess he died. But that's not what we see. In, in Acts 7, what we see is that Moses was in Egypt for 40 years, and then he was a shepherd tending the flock for 40 years. 40 years. This is an 80-year-old man. That's not a spring chicken. That's not a super young person. I mean, he's shepherding, and he's doing this for 40 years. I, I just imagine he's pretty secure in his, you know, line of work. He has kids. He has sons. He, it mentions them in here. Well, his son is named after a soldier or a person who has no place. So he still has no people. He's in this place. He doesn't have his own sheep. He's, he's has his father-in-law's flock, and he's taking care of them. He's been doing this for 40 years, so I see uh, this person who, you know, doesn't really like their lot in life. So one of my favorite movie series, thank you, ABC Family, for showing it every weekend, ABC Family Family Weekend. When I was growing up, Harry Potter, I have seen way too many times. They play it on repeat, and they, like, stack them. They build them up. It's like, we'll show the first movie, then the second movie, then first movie, second movie, third movie, first movie, second movie, third movie, fourth. I've seen the first Harry Potter probably 100 times. It's way too many of any movie that you can imagine. So I'm going to take Harry Potter and kind of reveal what's going on here. So, so Harry is not the favorite child. Harry's over here. He actually lives under the, the stairs. He's an orphan, and he has nothing. He is not doted on by his aunt and uncle. They don't really take good care of him. He's just kind of like a servant boy. He's, he's tending the flock, if you will. But then they have their other son, their only son, and he's perfect. Nothing he can do is wrong. He's kind of round because he does no work. He goes to boarding school and he gets taught all the best lessons. He's going to have a great job. He's going to be the family heir. He's going to be wonderful. And Harry's over here doing his own thing. He doesn't have anything. Nothing to his name. His aunt and uncle, they have full custody of him, and he's just like, this stinks. Okay, so this picture of Harry Potter, um, maybe you're not a Harry Potter fan. Uh, I'll, I'll connect it to two others in a second. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if what I'm talking about just doesn't make any sense, don't worry about it. Um, but what's happening here is 
Harry has nothing. And then this weird giant dude flies in on a flying motorcycle, very strange, and says, there's this whole world that you have no idea about, this world of magic, and you're special there, and I want to take you with me to that world. He's inviting him on a journey that will change his entire life. He will never see life the same again. In Lord of the Rings, this is with Frodo and Gandalf. Gandalf brings Frodo along and he says, hey, there's a whole world outside of the Shire. Let's go on a journey. And then in Star Wars, we have Luke Skywalker with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi picks him, takes him up, and changes his life. What we see is that God is doing this same thing. So this brings us to my first point, which is God desires intimate relationship. First point is God desires intimate relationship. So the, the first step of any relationship, as you'll see, is putting yourself out there, letting, you, letting someone know that you're there. Okay, if it's a coworker, if it's a neighbor, if you just drive down the road, they're gonna have no idea who you are. Someone, either you or them, have to put yourself out there. You have to take a jump and say, I'm going to introduce myself. They may be mean, they may, may be weird, but I'm going I'm to go out. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to do this. What I love about this is since God desires intimate relationship, he makes that step. I don't have to make that step because he did it. And he does it over and over. So here we see God comes down and he reveals himself to many people. So the first one we're going to look at God, it's kind of a sub point. God graciously reveals himself. So God graciously reveals himself to, we're going to look at three different groups or three different people. So he reveals himself first to Moses. So let's look at that chapter three, two through five. I'm going to read it just real quick. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. What I want to show you, I'm going to hit real quick. This is an angel of the Lord. That doesn't make sense because he also says he's God in just a minute, right? That, that doesn't make any sense. He can't be both an angel of the Lord and God. Well, so in the original language of the Old Testament, we have this word that's, that's more like a heavenly being, anyone representing someone else from heaven, okay? And that's the word that's used here, and it's not specific to angels like in other places that we see in the Old Testament. So what I want to point out is that since the ground around the very bush and the fact that there's fire in this bush actually makes it God himself, God there, because we'll see future in the story of Exodus. Um, we're not going to hit there today, but he appears in fire over and over. He comes as a pillar of fire. He comes when they worship at this mountain. The mountain is engulfed in flames, so much so that the Israelites are scared to go up. You know, many scholars think it was probably a volcano, something very similar. If it's fire coming down or going up, they were like, there's so much smoke, there's so much fire, they said, I'm not going up there. Moses, you go up there. That's, you've been here before. You, you go talk to God. I don't want to talk to God. He's engulfing the mountain in fire, okay? So what, what I think I can make a safe argument that this is absolutely God, and this is not just an angel. It's not, it's not impossible. It's, it's nearly the same if it's an angel, but 
I like to say that this is God himself. So we see God himself appear to Moses. Call him out. Call him by name. And then in Exodus 7 through 8, 3, 7 through 8, we see that then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of that land and go to a broad land, a good land, flowing with milk and honey. What we see here is back to chapter one. There's 400 years in one chapter, and then we see a a play-by-play of Moses talking to God. It, It records this conversation, which is nuts. It's just, I don't know how, you know, the author of this was thinking, but you need to get your pacing right here. It's, it's 400 years to word by word. I don't, I don't know what's going on. What we need to realize is that the Israelites were waiting for 400 years. Joseph invited his family, as we see from Genesis, to come and join him in Egypt because there was going to be a famine throughout the land. And that entire generation died. And then the generation after that died. And then the generation after that died. It's 400 years. That's a lot of generations. And so these people are fruitful and they multiply. I hope that sounds familiar because in Genesis, they're actually doing what God commanded Adam and Eve. They are fruitful and they multiply. I mean, it's a problem that they're multiplying. Pharaoh decides that he's going to kill them because they're fruitful and multiplying. God, we're doing our end of the deal. We're fruitful, we're multiplying, we're trying to worship you, and we're under this, this guy who's enslaving us. How is this fair? And what I want to show is that God does not forget about the Israelites. What, what does it say here? The, the, the Hebrews. It, it shows that he's going to reveal himself. He's going to bring them out of slavery. We'll, we'll get on that in, in just a second. So, I think we forget there's another group of people that that God reveals himself to. And and most of the time, we don't talk about this in church. We don't really uh, do this. We we pray for these people, but we don't really recognize that God is speaking to them. So God is also speaking not just to his own people, to Moses and the Israelites and those who are faithful. God is going to reveal himself in a mighty way to the Egyptians. If you recognize, there are several things later. Again, the Prince of Egypt is is a great basic understanding. God is going to take anything of power that the Egyptians have, and he says, I'm in control of that. You're not in control. All these things that you, all this stuff, this river that brings you life, it brings, it waters all your crops regularly. They basically have an irrigation system without any power. It's it's a tremendous thing. And what does God do? He turns it to blood. Blood is not good for watering crops. It's not good for cattle to consume. It's not good for people. And God says, I am in control over that. God is in control of everything that the Egyptians think they have strength in. He says, your power, your money, your health, all of this stuff is mine. I control all of it. Under no circumstances is any of this yours. It is mine. He kills their cattle. He, He threatens their health. He takes their children, because he says, this is my people, and the, you are also here, but you are not in control. I am in control. This is not a thing that we, we realize very often. We, don't, we pray for these people, hey, God, reveal yourself to this person, but 
What I want to submit is that God is constantly revealing himself. He is revealing himself. He is showing himself to not only us as Christians and as people intimate with him, and not only to pastors like Moses or, or leaders in the church. He is revealing himself to the world at large because he controls and he is powerful over all of these things. So my next, it's a little subpoint. So God, God reveals himself to us, but God also knows everything about us. He intimately knows everything about us. So let's go to the beginning, Exodus 2, where I was reading. During those days, the king of Egypt died, and these people, and the people of Israel groaned because, their, because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We see four things that shows God knows what's happening. This 400 years that they thought they were, they were neglected, that they were not being heard by God, we see that God not only hears them, he sees them in their suffering, and he knows their hearts. God is close with them. God is intimately aware of their situation, of, of everything that's being done against them. He is very aware of what's going on. He's not only aware of that, he's aware of what's going on in our lives. There's nothing that he misses. He sees everything. He's not blind. He's not, you know, neglecting you. He sees, he knows, and he hears your cry. Since God knows, he acts. What do we see? If you'll flip back with me, it's chapter 3, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring uh, bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But God said to Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Egypt, or children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. This is really important because I think most of the times, if God were to lay out the plan for our lives, we would be like, awesome. That's great. I don't have to guess. I don't have to worry about it. You're just going to let me know what I got to do. That sounds great. Give me the roadmap. It's going to be awesome. Well, what we see with Moses is God asks him to do a pretty difficult thing. And honestly, if, if I'm being perfectly honest, I respond just like Moses. And I would because Moses, again, he's a fugitive. He has been rejected and cast out by his own people. He's a murderer to the Israelites. He's a murderer to Pharaoh. He doesn't know that Pharaoh died. Again, he's, he's, he's away, and he's a sojourner without people. This, this reveals his state in life. He says, if I go over there, if I tell the number one guy, the strongest guy in the world, hey, I'm going to take your workforce. They're no more. They're coming with me. We're going to go worship God on this mountain. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm sure you'll find somebody else, right? They were plentiful. They multiplied. These are millions of people that we're talking about. Hey, don't worry about it. You know your pyramids? They look great. They're awesome as they are. I know they're half finished. Don't worry about it. We're going to leave. Okay? He calls him to do this. And, and as I've said, Moses is still this, this legendary figure. But Moses has a good answer here. I'm, I don't want you to think that he's like, unfaithful or, or anything like that, but he, he does have a concern. He says, I'm not the right guy. Maybe there's this priest of Midian. He's really spiritual. Call him to do it. Call someone else. I've been a shepherd 
for 40 years. I hang out with sheep. I don't argue with kings. I, I am not a political power. I do not have good speech. He says all of this, but let's, let's look at what happens. He says, I will be with you. So what God is trying to reveal is that that's not important. Let's, let's continue. We'll come back to this, this thought uh, in, chapter, or in verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So this is just almost like a clerical thing. There's a lot of gods back then. People were worshiping many different things. Even the priest of Midian, it's really debated on whether he worshiped God or not. He could have worshiped somebody completely different. Again, this is not God's people. The, the Hebrews are God's people. The Egyptians have names for all their gods. They know all of them, and they relate in their language to who they are. They relate to what they do. Ra is the, the sun god, and his name is related to that. It's, it's very important, the name of these gods. So he says, okay, Sure, I'm going to go, and we're going to see how this thing works, but who do I tell them that you are? God's response is amazing. He says, he said to Moses, I am who I am. These words are really key. It's so cool. God is naming himself. So if there's another time to listen, this is, this is it. God is naming himself. God is revealing himself again. He, he says his name. But what I want to show you in, the, in, again, the original language of the Old Testament, this word is not the first, this, this phrase that God uses, it's in bold in your text, I, I'm pretty sure, and it, and it might have a footnote that says, I will be who I will be. But what this is saying is actually connecting to verse 12. When he said, surely I will be with you, that is actually the same word he uses in verse 14. So God is naming himself and he's calling back this thing that he just talked about. He says, I think a more parallel and, and fitting for this passage, that translation should read more like, certainly I am is with you. See, what's important about Moses, this legendary figure in the Bible, is not that He's special, or he has gifts, or he has a lot of magic tricks that we'll see later. He calls down fire, like all of this stuff. That's not true. What's special about Moses is that God is going with him. What's special about the Israelites is that he calls them my people. God is naming himself here, like the other gods. Uh, he's, not, he's not equal with those gods. He is above them. We'll see that if you continue your study in Exodus. But what God is doing is he's, he's naming himself in relation to his people. He says, I'm a relational God. I care intimately for my people, and that's what's important. Not my power, not all, all of these things. It's the fact that I'm different than all the other gods in the sense that I will support them, and I will be with them. I will go with them. They don't, they don't have to appease me, all of these things, but I want them. I pursue them. This is what God, our God, says about himself. He says, I will be with you, or surely I am with you. Wow. God not only covers his name, but he declares the focus. Lots of times, like the Prince of Egypt, you know, the movie's good, but it's not perfect. It's made in Hollywood. It's made by DreamWorks. It puts the emphasis on Moses. What a faithful man. What a, what a guy worthy of going and, and serving this. That's not, that's not the case at all. The focus is God. God does these things. God turns the water to blood. God does all of this. 
A, my, my second point, my last point, is that God desires willing servants. God desires willing servants. So when God told Moses to go to Egypt, that he was going to be with him, that he was going to empower him, that he was going to do this, these amazing things, he makes some excuses. Now, I'm not saying that his excuses weren't valid. He says, you know, God, I'm not very good at talking to people, and I'm going to go challenge again the highest man in the world, the, the strongest authority that exists right now. I'm going to go tell him to get rid of all his servants. Okay, sure. Let's see what this looks like. But he, he gives these excuses, and God's, God's provision is what gets him through. He says, depend on me, and I will always come through. I will always be with you. I will support not only you, but the Israelites. When you come to an insurmountable obstacle, Pharaoh, if you, food, money, the Egyptians are going to hand it to you. This doesn't make any sense at all. They just decided to become charitable all of a sudden. They gave them all their possessions. They came to another insurmountable obstacle. Okay, we're in the desert, and we came to an, a sea, and they're right behind us. What are we going to do? He creates a pillar of fire to block the Egyptians, and he splits the sea. This isn't about Moses. This is about God. And he wants us to be willing to do what he asks. Now, I don't want to be unrealistic with you. I, I want to be perfectly clear that the things that God asks are not that hard. He, he doesn't ask us to do things that are hard. He doesn't ask us to do things that are, you know, difficult for us. He asks us to do things that are absolutely impossible. He says, I want you to go and do impossible things in my name. And we're supposed to go. We're just supposed to say, let's go. Me and you, we got this because I'm not able. Moses was a shepherd. Moses was not able. Moses didn't relate to either of the people that he's going, to, going with. But God used him perfectly as this legendary figure throughout the rest of this book, the rest of the Pentateuch, the rest of the entire Bible. Moses is this astounding figure. He asks us to do things that are impossible. Sometimes he asks us to do things completely out of our, our ability so that we rely desperately on the strength and the focus and, and, and the power that God brings. It's not just something that I can do on my own. Maybe, maybe this isn't connecting with you. Honestly, like God's not, God hasn't given me the instruction like Moses. God hasn't given me difficult things. You know, honestly, I, I can get through this on my own. Let's read John 15, 5 and 6, where Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, gathered thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus isn't the extras. Jesus isn't, he's not something that we turn to when things are hard. Jesus is the vine. If, if you like this analogy better, Jesus is the roots of the tree that is us. If you chop down a tree and decide that only the top part's gonna live, it's gonna die real fast. And that's what it, what it says. It says God cuts the branches that are dead and don't bear any fruit, and he throws them away. They wither and they burn. You see, in my life, I'm a very independent person. I like to do things myself. I like to cover 
everything that I can. You know, if my headlight was out a couple days ago and somebody asked, hey, do you need help changing that? They, I was like, no, 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 I got it. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. I got this, okay? I'm going to go to the auto parts store on my home. I don't want to bother you. Don't worry about it, right? And let's imagine he even said, well, I've got actually the light for your car in my car. Like, I just so happen to have that exact bulb. I have the same car, whatever. I would still probably be like, I don't want to put you out. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother you with that. I don't, I don't want to, to have to require you to do that. I'm, I'll, I got it. I'll go take care of it. I will do it myself. And, and sometimes we view the Christian walk like this. We, we view the Christian faith like this. If I serve God, if I pray, if I volunteer at church, if I do all these things, if I, if I give all my money to the poor, then, then I'll have fruit. And, and people will look at me and God will look at me and say, well done, my faithful servant. But that's not what he says. That, that's not the picture that the Bible portrays at all. He calls us to do those things, good things. But he calls us to be fully dependent on him, to hold on to that root, to that, to that vine. And it, the harder we hold on to him, the more we follow him, the more we are in his power, that's what produces fruit. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own power. It is fully on how desperate we are for God to act, for God to be working in our lives. So I've got to ask each and every single one of you, I, I, it, it would be awful for me to get halfway there and not continue on. What's in your life? What's in my life? What do I need to change so that I can be fully dependent on God? You know, most of those days I'm like, when my headlight was out, I'm like, no, 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 I got it. I'll figure it out. But God is calling you to something that you can't even imagine being done by yourself. God doesn't walk you through the easy ways. He doesn't promise comfort. He doesn't promise everything, all of these small things that, that we think we need in this culture. He doesn't promise a better job. He doesn't promise financial security. He doesn't promise that we'll have social status or influence in our church or our communities. What he's promising is to be with us each and every single day to make his glory known. God wants us to do impossible things. And God wants us every day to depend on him. Not on our things, not on our stuff. You know, I can depend on my car because, I'm not going to lie, we just passed 214,000 miles. It's great. It's, it's trucking along. And it's just never had a problem. I can do this. That's not what God calls us to. God calls us to live a life that every day we couldn't imagine it without him. We are fully dependent on not only God, but his word and his power in our lives. And I don't, I don't want you to miss this because it's, it's not necessarily that, that God won't work because he will. It's just I'm saying that he's inviting you on this adventure just like Hagrid, just like Obi-Wan, just like Gandalf. He's inviting all of these people on this adventure. And if he told you the end, you'd be like, let's go. I'd love to, but he doesn't share the end. He shares the next step. He says we're going to worship on this mountain. What happens right after that? The people turn, they make an idol as he's up there getting the words from God. Time and time again, he asks us to do impossible things, to depend on these people who are completely independable, to do these things, right? He's inviting you on this adventure, and if he told you some of this stuff halfway through, I think we'd act just like Moses. You got the wrong guy. It's not me. You're calling me to really hard stuff. God, this sucks. You're asking me to give more? I, I, I don't have enough. We're supposed to depend desperately on God. And I tell you 
that it is the exact same. God is inviting us on an adventure, on a journey, on a life where he wants to work through us. He wants to reveal himself and work in great ways where all of us are going to change the world. It just depends how. As long as you accept that journey, that adventure. But you have to make the choice. Are you willing not only to accept God as your Lord and Savior, but are you willing to take each step after that? It's not in the door, I'm done, that's it. If that were the case, we'd go straight to heaven. No separation from God, that sounds great. I'd love to be with him. What God is calling us to is every step of the way, fully dependent on him, not on our own comforts, not on our own self, but dependently living, sacrificially living to where he's got to show up. If God doesn't show up, bills aren't going to be met. Things just aren't going to get done. My relationships are going to fall. My family, all of it's dependent on God. I invite you to take this journey, to take each step, to push your boundaries of how far you're willing to let God take control of your life. You just have to answer. Are you willing to go with God on this journey? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity just to make you known and read your word. Lord, I am so glad for this church, for these people who are spending their time, putting their effort, and just getting to know you, God. Thank you that you are such a personal God. You want to know us intimately. You're not like other gods. You're not like other people. You're not like our boss. You care about us, and you are there with us every step of the way. It's not about how much I do, how much I give, all of these things. If I am weak, you provide the rest of the way. God, I don't even know the first step. I don't know what to do. I encourage, I pray this every day, Lord, give me the next step. Give me the boldness to take that next step and lead me after it, not to boast in my own works. Because God, you work through people where no one can say that it's because of me. No one can say I'm up here by my own authority because I am a dirty sinner and I have nothing. Just like Moses, he was a shepherd. God, you provide the steps. You provide the way so that when we look at back at Moses' life, I pray that it's the same as our life where when people look back at our lives, they say, man, God turned that guy around. God turned that woman around. God turned these people to worship him and make his glory known. God, thank you so much that you take these step with us, steps with us, that you invite us into this relationship, Lord. Please help us as we go throughout this rest of our week. Please help us to be thankful for what you've done in our lives and through your word. Amen.